Hosea chapter 7, the prophet continues to describe Israel's sins. This is a full chapter of a judgment oracle describing their sins and the need for punishment. Verse 1. When I would heal Israel, the iniquity of Ephraim is uncovered, and the evil deeds of Samaria. For they deal falsely, the thief enters in, bandits raid outside, and they do not consider in their hearts that I remember all their wickedness. Now their deeds are all around them. They are before my face. With their wickedness they make the king glad, and the princes with their lies. They are all adulterers, like an oven heated by the baker who ceases to stir up the fire from the kneading of the dough until it is leavened. On the day of our king, the princes became sick with the heat of wine. He stretched out his hand with scoffers, for their hearts are like an oven as they approach their plotting. Their anger smolders all night. In the morning it burns like a flaming fire. All of them are hot like an oven and they consume their rulers. All their kings have fallen. None of them calls on me. Ephraim mixes himself with the nations. Ephraim has become a cake not turned. Strangers devour his strength, yet he does not know it. Gray hairs also are sprinkled on him, yet he does not know it. Though the pride of Israel testifies against him, yet they have neither returned to the Lord their God, nor have they sought him, for all this. So Ephraim has become like a silly dove without sense. They call to Egypt, they go to Assyria. When they go, I will spread my net over them. I will bring them down like the birds of the sky. I will chastise them in accordance with the proclamation to their assembly. Woe to them, for they have strayed from me. Destruction is theirs, for they have rebelled against me. I would redeem them, but they speak lies against me, and they do not cry to me from their heart when they wail on their beds. For the sake of grain and new wine, they assemble themselves, they turn away from me. Although I trained and strengthened their arms, yet they devise evil against me. They turn, but not upward. They are like a deceitful bow. Their princes will fall by the sword, because of the insolence of their tongue. This will be their derision in the land of Egypt. Verse 1, God is speaking, and he wishes, he desires to heal Israel. Israel also called Ephraim and Samaria in the same verse. Ephraim, because that was a major tribe in the northern kingdom of Israel, and Samaria was the name of the capital city of Israel, where the king resided. God wishes to heal them. He wants to heal them. However, at the pursuit, he discovers, he sees, he uncovers their iniquity and their evil deeds. God sees it all. For they deal falsely. The thief enters in, bandits raid outside. The evil deeds include letting criminals do their dirty work. Instead of stopping the criminals, they encourage, they aid and abet, abet these criminals. That's the way the country goes. And verse 2, they do not consider in their hearts that I remember all their wickedness. Why don't wicked people consider that God 
knows everything. He remembers, he's aware of all their wickedness, whether done in the open or done in secret, God knows. Verse two, now their deeds are all around them. They are before my face. Their evil deeds are also exposed and very obvious all about them, all around them. And they cannot be hidden before God. It's obvious in their own sight and obvious in the sight of God. If it's obvious in both God's sight and their sight, why would they imagine that their sins would never be punished? Verse three, with their wickedness, they make the king glad and the princes with their lies. The people under the king and under the princes, those in the court and even those uh, among the common people, they are all doing this sin or these sins and they are in cahoots, they are in cooperation with the king and his princes. There should be some sense of justice either at the very top or among the people, but there is no justice. There's only sin and wickedness. Verse four, they are all adulterers, all of them, whether literal adultery or spiritual adultery, certainly they are all spiritual adulterers as Hosea has been using this analogy illustration from the very first chapter of spiritual prostitution, spiritual harlotry, spiritual adultery, fornication, whatever word you want to use, sexual sin. All of them have been committing spiritual sexual sin against the true God by worshiping idols and worshiping that which is right in their own eyes. And he further describes, verse four, how intense they are in doing so. They are like an, a heated oven. They are like a heated oven. That's how hot and that's how burning is their desire to sin. And the, this baker, he even, he lets the, the dough, after he kneads it, he lets it ferment and it lets it become leavened. So that their sin on the inside, it permeates and inflames or inflates them. It enlarges, just as it starts on the inside, it enlarges and manifests itself on the outside. That's how intense their heat of sin is. Then in verse five, he continues with this Heat. He says, it's the heat of wine. On the day of our king, the princes became sick with the heat of wine. On a day of celebration, perhaps even on a day of inauguration of the king, everyone is so heated with wine, so drunk with wine, they become sick. They become sick because they have drunk too much. And then this king, in his debauchery, he stretched out his hand with scoffers. Often that's what happens with drunkards. They lose their senses. They say all kinds of things and they start to scoff and mock at others and especially against God. The king joins with the scoffers. He's drunk when the king shouldn't be drunk. The king should never be drunk because he's the king. 
and he should set the example. And he needs to be sober for matters of justice, since he is the Supreme Court of the land. Verse 6, For their hearts are like an oven as they approach their plotting. Their anger smolders all night. In the morning it burns like a flaming fire. All of them are hot like an oven, and they consume their rulers. All their kings have fallen. None of them calls on me. Everyone's heart is burning hot in sin like an oven. They even are heated throughout the whole night. Some things are baked all night long, and then they're ready in the morning. In this way, they are meditating and burning in their desire to sin. They plot all night long. They desire it all night long, and then in the morning, they go to their desire. They commit their crimes when they see daylight. And they all fall, and they fall with their kings and their rulers. All of them. Verse 7, none of them calls on me. The prophets, starting in the book of Genesis, the prophets are prone to telling us that no one calls on God. When they say that, they're making a blanket statement of the rarity of true faith. They're making a statement about how infrequent it is to find a godly man because ungodliness is so common. The same in Hosea's day. None of them calls on me. He can't find one. Verse 8, Ephraim mixes himself with the nations. What's Ephraim doing? He's mixing. He's mingling. He's interacting. He's fellowshipping. He's loving the world, the nations. It's often the surrounding nations that they imitate. They want to imitate their gods, their worship, their behavior, their sins, their adultery, their extortion, whatever the surrounding nations are practicing, that's what Ephraim wants to imitate. Instead of going to the word of God and the true prophets of God, they go to the false prophets and they behave just like everybody else. This is just like James. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. James 4, 4. Further, verse 8, Ephraim has become a cake not turned. If a cake is in the oven and it's not turned, then the bottom side will be burnt and the top side will remain doughy. So you have burnt cake on the bottom, doughy at the top. The time has expired for the oven to be turned off. The cake is supposed to be ready and perfect, ready to eat, but now it's useless. On both sides, it's useless. You can't eat the burnt cake and you can't eat a doughy cake. Ephraim has become useless. Verse nine, strangers devour his strength. Strangers means foreigners, aliens. They devour his strength. His strength means the wealth that he has, the crops, the abundant crops, the animals, 
whatever the, the land, uh, possessions in the land, that's what strangers are devouring. Shouldn't the native or the countryman be able to eat from his own land and enjoy from his own labor? Yes. But here he's not able to do it and strangers are able to do it. Yet he does not know it. He's so consumed in sin, it doesn't phase him. It doesn't wake him up from his stupor in sin. He doesn't even realize that he's being devoured by strangers. Strangers are taking control of his own nation. Gray hairs also are sprinkled on him, yet he does not know it. Gray hairs sprinkled. Often, in the middle of life, that's when gray hairs start to show up on the head and on the beard of men. That's when the man becomes weaker and weaker. That's a sign of age and a sign of his decline in health and strength. Even though they have weakness all around them, the signs of weakness all around them, it says he does not know it. They're not even paying attention. They don't know what's going on. They don't know how weak and frail they are, and they are about to die. But they won't do anything about it because they're so blinded by their sin. Verse 10, though the pride of Israel testifies against him, yet they have neither returned to the Lord their God, nor have they sought him for all this. Israel's pride manifested in his wickedness. They see what's happening in a sense, but they don't repent. They don't return to the Lord their God. They don't seek for him, which requires diligence. Remember, to repent, or in verse 10 also it says, they sought him to seek after God requires diligence. It requires effort. You can't be slothful and slack. They won't do it. Israel's pride is obvious. The prophet is exposing it, but they refuse to repent or return. Verse 11. So Ephraim has become like a silly dove without sense. Ephraim is like a silly dove. By a silly dove, he doesn't mean the word silly in terms of playful and cute. He doesn't mean it that way. He means silly in the sense of stupid, idiotic. Because when doves are pursuing their food, when they're looking for grain and, and bits of food, often they don't know or pay attention to their surroundings they can easily be caught in a net. Or if someone captures their young, they're so consumed by gathering their food that they have no concern for their own young. The next generation, they don't care because they're pursuing their insatiable appetites. They are without sense. And how do they manifest the fact that they are without sense, they're not thinking straight. They call to Egypt, they go to Assyria. 
They go for help to foreign nations that have greater military might, make alliances with them in the hopes that those alliances will protect them from other foreigners who might invade them and destroy their nation. Instead of repenting of sin and trusting in the Lord, they trust in other idolaters so that they can continue practicing their own sin. That's what silly doves without sense do. However, God's in control of this. He will take care of them. They might do this, but look at 12. When they go, I will spread my net over them. I will bring them down like the birds of the sky. I will chastise them in accordance with the proclamation to their assembly. God has a huge net. He has a great net and he's going to capture all of the silly doves and they will meet their end. They will not escape God's trap, God's net. He'll punish them and kill them. He's going to chastise them according to the proclamation to their assembly. This proclamation may either be the proclamation Hosea is proclaiming here to the assembly of Israel, or it may be, as Moses said, annually, the nation should gather. He said this in Deuteronomy 31, that the nation should gather to hear the word of God and remember God annually at the festival and there be reminded of the goodness of God, the greatness of God, his holiness, their sin and their need to have faith and obedience in God. But if they don't, then he'll punish them, which it also says in Deuteronomy 31, 32, and uh, earlier chapters such as 27, 28, and 29. Actually, Deuteronomy 27 to 32 is a good study on this subject, that Moses gave them ample warning what God expected of them. 13, woe to them for they have strayed from me. Destruction is theirs for they have rebelled against me. I would redeem them, but they speak lies against me. This curse or woe is pronounced on them. Why? Because they stray from God and rebel against God. The only thing left for them is destruction. Rebellion leads to retribution or destruction. He again wishes to redeem them as he started in verse 1. When I would heal Israel here, I would redeem them, but they speak lies against me. God is not lacking in compassion. He's not lacking in spreading out his hands to call them. He wishes to redeem them, but they turn against God by speaking lies against God. God tells the truth. They are liars. But now they speak lies against God instead of repenting. 14, they do not cry to me from their heart when they wail on their beds. They're wailing on their beds because they see some signs of the lack of fruit, 
some signs of the lack of wealth, some signs of the lack of prosperity. But when they cry out to God on their beds, they're not crying from their heart. They don't really mean it. Fake repentance. Sham repentance. They don't really mean it because it doesn't manifest itself in their life. Further, 14 says, For the sake of grain and new wine, they assemble themselves. They turn away from me. What do they really want when they cry out to God? Only food. They only want their physical food. That's the only reason they're crying out to God. Not because they want salvation of the soul. Not because they want to please the Lord. Not because they want to glorify Him, fear Him, walk in His ways, prepare for the day of judgment. Not for any of those reasons. They are praying only for physical prosperity. Further, verse 15. Although I trained and strengthened their arms, yet they devise evil against me. Who is the one who taught them? Who is the one who gave strength to them? God did. God gave them skill. God gave them strength. God gave them wisdom. God gave them desires. He gave all of these to them. He gave them their parents. He gave them the land, the land in which they were born. And yet they don't use all of these strengths that God has provided to please God, but devise evil against God. They earn money and then use their money against the God who gave them money or the strength to earn the money. 16, they turn, but not upward. They are like a deceitful bow. Their princes will fall by the sword because of the insolence of their tongue. This will be their derision in the land of Egypt. Yes, they turn. They're looking for direction, but they're not looking in the right place. They turn every which way. They turn to the world. They turn to other nations. They turn to their neighbor, but they don't turn to God. In fact, they don't go in the right direction as illustrated in the next line. They are like a deceitful bow. When the archer is aiming, and if the, he thinks that the bow is going where it should go and hit the target, what if there is some defect in the bow? Then the bow won't hit the target. It'll go higher, it'll go lower, it'll go to the left or to the right. It'll do something wrong, right? You think it's fine, you think it's okay, but it's actually deceitful because once the archer shoots it, it goes where it's not supposed to go. And because of this, they're going to die. Their princes will fall by the sword, the sword of the Assyrians. Remember, in verse 11, they seek help from the Assyrians 
but the Assyrians will eventually be their destroyers. The place where they went for help, that's the place that will harm them by the sword. And why? Because of the insolence of their tongue. Insolence is stubborn pride. Very noxious, stubborn pride. That's what insolence is. And it's coming out of their mouth. They have no shame, no embarrassment to speak whatever is on their mind. And then God will show them how much he is against them when in the land of Egypt they are held in derision. The idolatrous Egyptians, when they start to receive some refugees from Israel, they're going to be laughing. Ha ha, what happened to you? What happened to you? Why couldn't your God protect you? You came to our country and now you need to worship our gods, our idols, because your God is no God. Your God didn't help you. When actually the problem is not God, it's the people who wouldn't repent, who sinned against God. This is what's going to happen to the people because of sin. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.